Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HR advisor at SAP. And I'm Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution advisor at SAP. So Simon, welcome to episode three. This episode is going to be really interesting. The topic is, is technology the catalyst for a change or or transformation? And obviously there's a play on the words a little because we're going to be really digging into what constitutes that change um, and, and what drives it. What are you looking forward to in particular in this particular episode? So I, I think this episode is going to be interesting because we've got two guests. So we've got that customer viewpoint of how they own that change and drive that change within the business. But we've also got a special guest from inside, from a vendor technology perspective. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic, the different perspectives that they both have on, on essentially the same topic, which is, again, what's the dynamic and how does technology interact with that change? I think for me, I'm looking forward to getting into some of those practical insights, you know, from someone who has led a number of change programs throughout her career. And I and I'm and I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, some of those specifics and the and the richness. So yeah, it should be good. So I'm delighted to introduce our two guests today. Firstly, I'm delighted to introduce Elaine Bergin. Elaine is the director of colleague experience and delivery at BT. Uh, Elaine's been at BT for just over a year and is responsible for the group-wide delivery of services plus the colleague data and technology landscape. They've recently rescoped the BT HR transformation program and they're implementing a pretty full suite of SAP success factor capability. The program's called iConnect and working towards a first global release. Now Elaine brings huge amount of experience having previously implemented technologies at Sainsbury's, Gap, uh, Clark Shoes and Safeway before it was Morrison's. She's a self-confessed change addict, which she does blame her mother. She loves her family, loves her team, chocolate and decorating. And again, she blames her mother for that too. Um, I'm also delighted to introduce Layla Romain. Layla is the head of Success Factors uh, or, or, or HXM for UKI, been at SAP for three and a half years and has been leading the Success Factors UKI business for the last two and a half years. Uh, Layla hails from the, the Midlands, uh, is, a, is a passionate Brummie, and, uh, and over the last 12 months has been working extensively uh, with clients, observing the changes that they're making. So welcome, Elaine. Welcome, Layla. Delighted to have you with us on the Human Factor podcast. So this, this episode, um, just from a context, we've often remarked that without the required capability, it is impossible to change and transform. But just because you have the capability, it, it doesn't mean you will. So in essence, choosing a solution or technology is often the easy bit, but actually getting an organization to commit to changing and then actually executing on that change is by far the most difficult task. So, so this episode, we're gonna explore the complexities of enabling a business transformation and the role that technology can play as a catalyst and as an enabler. What we'll also be doing is discussing the importance of building that sort of central argument and strategy, which is so crucial to securing stakeholder support, commitment, and also working alongside those key stakeholders in finance and procurement and obviously the process of finding 
the right solution to enable that transformation. So Elaine and Leila, welcome. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, so let's just kick things off. Um, I just want to sort of start at a high level, and if I can come to you first, Elaine. When we sort of think about change and transformation, what is the sum of our sort of collective thoughts? You know, what do you think about when we start to talk about, you know, executing a transformation or making a change? Hi, thanks, Michael. I'm I'm going to start with the 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 words change and transformation because I I see them differently, and I have actually a bit of a love hate relationship with both those two words. Um, you said in the intro that I am a bit of a change addict and I, I, I blame my mother for that. But that's because I think change is good. I, I like the fact that to me change means something more constant. Um, it, you know, that old saying that, that says there are no guarantees in life but death and taxes. I think actually there are no guarantees in life but death, taxes and change. <laughs> um, it sort of rings true to me that change is a sort of permanent environment in which we operate all of the time. And in fact, when I worked at Gap, uh, the founder, um, who I, I never had the uh, pleasure to meet, but his sort of, you want one of his famous sayings prevailed, uh, and I'm sure it does even to this day, which was change or fail. And I loved that. I thought it was great. However, I've never much liked what I call the T word, and I try not to use it, actually. And, I, and that's quite tricky because I think it's very much part of every day's kind of vernacular, business vernacular in, in today's world. But I don't like it because I think it puts boundaries on change. It has an implication to me of a sort of caterpillar to butterfly moment, you know, that you transform, that it's magnificent. Uh, and then when that's happened, it's all done. And I, I don't believe, my, in my experience, that's never been the case. You know, change isn't necessarily always magnificent it isn't always huge and it definitely isn't always done so I, I think there's a sort of false set of expectations around transformation that what you're going to do is somehow incredible when actually that tends to just lead to disappointment and I don't think there's any modesty in talking about transformation whereas change is just a permanent environment so that that's kind of my preference and my relationship with those two those two words if you like I mean, it, it, that is super helpful because we debate this all the time. And I, I, I have a similar viewpoint on that T word. It, it, it does get in the way. And sometimes, you know, you get lost in, well, what actually is it? You know, what are you changing? And as you said, the only constant in life is change. That That's the simple reality. I mean, Leila, if I can just come to you for a second. You know, we, we, we engage, don't we, in a number of different conversations. You work alongside a number of executive teams as they're embarking on their change. You know, we've heard Elaine's viewpoint on what change means to, to her, et cetera. What, what, what are you, some of your observations and thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Uh, it's funny, I kind of, I echo a little bit Elaine's point on the on the T word. We, we try not to use T, I think, too often. Um, for me, it's more about how can we help a client go through that change? Because when you talk about transformation, to clients it means many different things. And actually, transformation can sound really scary and really big. And it's not necessarily about that. It's about how can we help them? It's a, it's a journey, and I don't use that word lightly, but it's a journey that they're going on and how that evolves. How do we guide them? How do we make it easy for them? Um, and actually, how do we listen? So one of the important things our role is, is, is to listen, right? So 
hopefully Elaine will share, Elaine and I spent lots of time talking and my role was is to listen um, as part of working with, with Elaine. It's also about understanding what's driving that need for change and transformation. So what's behind it? Is it to try and engage better across the organisation? Is it to drive better decision-making? Is it to drive user experience? So I see part of, part of my role, our role, is to help with some of that as well. So taking this, this theme then that change is constant, and, and if we look at the disruption that we've had externally in the last few years, we are now seeing every single day that constant nature of change. It is just simply around us. But organizational change, though, is a whole different beast altogether, right? So individually, we're exposed to change. But what we observe is that that presents many with an enormous challenge. How do I convince people who are not close to what I'm feeling, how do I convince them to, to change, to empathize, to be committed? So... For you, Elaine, how do you approach it? You know, what is your starting point, if you like, putting an organisational change hat on? It's a good question. Um, uh, and, and of course, you do need to bring people along with you uh, when you're, especially when you're leading a change or wanting to lead a change. Um, for me, I always try to start by laying out the problem. So what's the current situation? Where are we right now? And what is the problem statement with where we are right now? And I think for me, that means you've got to face, honestly, face into what's going on right under the covers, you know, really start lifting the lid uh, on things, digging underneath, understanding what the root cause of the issues are, even if sometimes the root cause of the issues are of your own making, which sometimes they are, you know, particularly... Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm lucky here, for example, in BT, I, I sort of, you know, I've, I've joined only a year ago, so I don't have that history. But particularly if you've been in an organisation for a while, recognising the moment at which things are not working right for you anymore and you've got to change them sometimes means facing into the demons of what it was that you created in the first place. So when you get to the root cause of the issue, I think you then have to be able to describe the problem statement. So you know what the problem is but you've got to make it accessible and easy for people to understand. And I think when people understand what the problem is, then the next step for you is to help people believe that it can be changed. You've simplified the problem, you've got into the root cause, you've got into its component parts, and you've told a story, I suppose, about what it is that you know we're facing into right now and how we think we need to address that challenge and come out of it at the other end. And I think that does require a degree of confidence as well. And I think people need to feel confident in you and your capability to identify the problems and then and then do something about it. it it's great advice. I mean, it takes courage, though, Elaine, because, you know, articulating a story, articulating a problem, it does require courage. It's, it's not straightforward, is it? No, no, totally. I totally agree with that. It, it, it does <laughs> it does require a degree of courage and and as I say I think actually people who who are having to face into the things that are no longer working that maybe they established in the first place that's even more that requires even more bravery I think you know it's sort of owning up to well you know what I created isn't right anymore um, and it needs to change uh, but I I I'd say I mean I say go for it 
Yeah, I but agree. But that's because I love change, right? Yeah, and, and I do think, you know, that, that there's no doubting that. I think when you have that appreciation of things can always improve, then, yeah, you'll start to apply that sort of confidence and, and courage. I mean, Leila, you know, as I said at the beginning, we talk and work with a range of customers. And so picking on the couple of the points that Elaine has mentioned there about being really clear. And as you said, listening, we need to listen. But it's also about the customer themselves understanding what is that problem? You know, what is the starting point? You know, what is the thing that you can't do or you need to be able to do? I, I know over the last 12 months that, you know, you spent a lot of time with customers pre-investment, you know, as they're building that argument. Again, what are some of your observations of the things you've seen that, you know, have worked or not? Again, back to Elaine's point, you kind of almost have to stop and think about what is it that you're trying to achieve? Because we've we've seen a lot of organisations do this the right way, do this um, where it, it needs more work. But actually think about what is it that you're trying to achieve? What are the real business drivers about wanting to drive that change? I would say think about what do you need? Um, some of the things I've seen is they if you talk about change, then everything's we must do everything all in one go. But actually, in reality, you don't need to do everything all in one go, right? You can do it in a piecemeal approach and still drive the change and the business outcomes that you desire. So my recommendation would really be think about what, what it is that you're trying to achieve. What are those business drivers and what are the incremental things that help you get there rather than drive change for the sake of change? Yeah, that's the big point, isn't it? I think, you know, I think there's also the myth as well. I mean, there's a play on words with obviously our episode title today, but we'll touch on it is, is technology the catalyst for a, a change, right? Yes, of course, you can't make it unless you have the right requisite capability. But deep down, you've got to know what it is that you're actually fixing, or you're changing, or you're improving. And Elaine, I think, you know, I often talk, you said about creating that story. I talk about the argument, you know, presenting an argument, making that visceral connection, getting a group who may be disconnected on the same page. The secondary part, though, invariably, it requires an investment. Now, I learned a painful lesson 20 years ago. I was working at Scottish Power. I was um, involved in a business transformation, and it was because the, the market had been deregulated your customers were no longer your customers. It was a bun fight. And I was stood in front of the board. I was asking them for a ton of money, quite a number of millions. And I'd done all the work. You know, we'd gone around the exec. I'd worked with the finance organization. We'd done the numbers. I, I had five minutes to present and I got it passed. They looked at the finance person and said that the numbers add up. And he said they do and they were happy. Um, but then the transformation director came around and shook my hand and said, great job. You could have got this through on soft benefits alone. And I drove home from Glasgow feeling utterly, utterly miserable that I'd really missed a trick. So one of the big things sometimes that we talk with customers when they're thinking about change is how do you, you know, get the executives and the stakeholders on board, but also how do you go about starting that process of securing that investment? I don't think there's a silver bullet, to be fair. Uh, you know, I don't think that there's a single way of obtaining or securing investment, um, particularly in the HR space, where sometimes you're actually dependent on those soft benefits that, you know, you described more more than you are on the, you know, the, the commercial ones, and and some sometimes that's all you've got. 
in in the case of HR. So I, I don't think that there's a, any one single answer. I think relationships are really important, being able to understand you know, who are the right people for you to go and talk to, and who are the right people for you to try and engage and involve in your problem statement uh, that you're putting together um, and make sure you've covered off all those bases. There's something about patience for me, timing, commercial acumen, understanding how your investment ask fits in to the, uh, the, the broader space of what's going on at that time in the organisation and perhaps even a recognition, now might not be the right time. When is the right time? And sometimes an acceptance that your business case isn't strong enough and therefore uh, the changes that you want to make need to be scaled back. Layla's right, you don't have to do everything at once um, or held off. Uh, in some way until the timing is right. And so I think, you know, kind of just like everybody else has to, fitting that into the, you know, the wider context of what's going on in your organisation is is really important. And as always, with loads of other things too, keeping it simple. Simon, I would want to get your viewpoint on that, if I may. Yeah, I was, I was really interested in what you're saying there, Elena. I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts around the role that technology can play in that decision-making process as well. Certainly, you know, we, we, Layla, Michael and myself, we often come to situations where technology is often the driver for the change. You know, there's a there's a piece of kit that's going out of end of life or it's failing in the business, for example, and, and that triggers the debate about maybe we should change and do something different. I mean, what are your thoughts on the role that technology can play in the process of accelerating that organisational change itself? So I've, I've, I've heard and actually seen and walked in on that story uh, before, <laughs> to be fair. And I, I don't think it's completely uncommon that that technology and the, the technology part of an organisation are waving their hands in the air um, with an end of service life scenario or um, or a re-platforming or, or, um, or a strategic change you know, that they're driving for themselves and it's got an implication on HR. I think we have a responsibility in functions like HR to really get our heads around the fact that technology is intrinsic entirely in the way in which we get things done today. You know, when I started out my career in, in HR 30 years ago, we didn't have PCs on the desk. You know, it was bits of paper and fax machines and you know, duplicating paper and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and, and a post bag. So, but but there's just no excuse uh, in in 2021 and beyond for HR professionals to um, to exclude knowledge, awareness, capability of technology and the role that it plays in what we do. So I think it has to be a real partnership. I think HR folks need to step forward more to work more closely with their technology partners, rather than necessarily the other way round. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I, I think. And I also think, and I've worked with a number of different technology suppliers, you guys at SAP, of course, being one of those. I also think that there's a role for the supplier to play. Layla's talked already about what can you do to help. You know, I think that technology needs to be shared. It needs to be in the hands of everyone that works in an organisation. It's not. It's no longer a, a preserve of the technology division nor is it a preserve of the HR division either. It should be uncomplicated, uh, user-friendly and customer-grade, actually, so that, that colleagues can do the things that used to be uh, only done by people in HR departments. 
You know, and I think about the revolution that we've seen in banking, insurance, travel. There aren't insurance brokers, travel agents, you know, on the high street in the way that they used to be. They've had to change and adapt. And so I think HR functions and, and, and therefore technology functions too have to do the same. Because why, why should careers not be the same as holidays? And I think we're only halfway there. I think the technology is not there entirely yet. Technology divisions have not got their head around the democratisation yet. And HR teams have not got good enough at understanding technology either. And, and thank you for that, Elena. And maybe just a question to Elena as well. I mean, from the vendor's perspective, do you think sometimes technology actually gets in the way of a change because it becomes almost a distraction? You know, we've got to buy, for example, a new payroll system and we just focus on the payroll function instead of thinking actually the wider business could change here and part of that benefit could then reflect onto the payroll division. Do, do you feel that? Do you see that sometimes in some of the opportunities that we work with customers? I definitely think we see that. I think, to your point, we get distracted by, is it because something's end of life? So take payroll. Actually, there's, there's quite a few solutions at the moment are going end of life, and we're working with a lot of clients about that. So they get fixated with, this is going end of life. This is driving us. But yet you then have to kind of work with the, with the client um, and talk about, take a step back again, actually as part of this end of life actually what more could you get how could that help drive change the t-words and give you additional benefits that you might not have thought about so really think about how that can help enable enable your business as you go forward so i definitely see that i think the other thing i would say is and it's actually great working really closely with elaine because actually coming together as an HR and an IT organisation is really nice to see. You should be working hands in gloves. It's not an IT programme. It's not a business programme. It's both. So watching the business priorities and the IT priorities come together, for me, is always really rewarding because you can't just treat it as an IT programme. But again, think about the wider picture of what else, if you've got a solution, you're only looking at solution, what more can you get out of that solution, not just kind of pinpointing it or honing it in? One of the themes we've talked about today, though, goes all the way back to the right to the beginning of what is your story? What is the story? What's your problem statement? You know, because that's that's essential to getting the business to support it. Yes, I think what you said, Elaine, about we consume capability now, don't we? We don't adopt it necessarily. We live micro experiences in our homes, right? We consume platform devices to connect our thermostats with our radios with our music our cars or whatever it may be we don't think about it we just we just do it again going back to that organizational context though so yes the business is supportive the timing's right how do we now though get the rest of the organization i know this is a massive question i mean we could be here until eight o'clock this evening and getting the gin and tonics out but how do we accelerate the change you know, we hear many labels about helping people to understand the merits and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what are your philosophical views around change and, and what's worked? Elaine, you know, what are your what are your thoughts and philosophical views about how do you truly accelerate the change? Yeah, thanks, Michael. I mean, you know, you've named a few of, a few of those things because I think you've got to get all the foundational stuff right in the first place. But when you get started... Uh, I, I mean, I, I think change the change management aspect of whatever it is that you're looking to achieve is huge. And I never, never underestimate that. And if I were to describe, so here's my little story <laughs> of, of how I set up a programme like this. 
and where change management fits in. So you, you guys do all the hard work building the product, building the solution, you know, in the SaaS environment that we're all working in uh, in so many ways today. You've got the product. We, you know, we, we as the organisation choose the product from a technology perspective. We've then got to make it work for us. And so I, there are four pillars to the model that I deploy, if you like, to try and make this successful. Number one is uh, is make it functionally fit for purpose. So we take the product and, you know, in the case of BT, I call that turn it purple. Uh, and that means making sure that, you know, we, we choose the right configuration of, of that product for, you know, the, the, the way in which we want it to work here in our organisation. So no, number one, functionally fit for purpose. Number two, we've then got to make sure that it slots in to the wider architecture of the organisation. And that's really a, a very much a technology story. I call it plug it in, um, which is essentially <laughs> what we're trying to do here. Plug it in uh, to the wider infrastructure of your organisation. Make sure it's secure. People can access it. Uh, you know, if you want mobile enabled, that you've got all of that working. The, the third thing is you've then got to fill it with data. So that, that's the third sort of pillar to that. And, you know, you know, particularly HR technology uh, is any use whatsoever without any data in it. So you've got to fill it with data. And then the fourth is you've got to make people use it. And that fourth pillar is the change management one. Because, again, what's the point in having all of this technology going through all of this this sometimes painful work to get to the point where you have uh, you've something that is helping you resolve the problem statement you identified in the first place. No one knows anything about it. No one knows how to use it. Nobody cares. You've not looked at any of the impacts. You've not looked at what you can maximise out of it. You've not looked at what organisational changes there are on the back of it. Then, you know, the whole thing's pretty pointless. So for me, that fourth pillar of make people use it is as important as it being functionally fit for purpose, plugged into your organisational architecture and filled with data. They are as important. That's brilliant advice. I mean, I, I, I love your model. Plug it in. I'm going to remember that for a while. But it is about taking it back to that simple language. And, and Leila, you're on a number of steercos today supporting our customers who are embarking upon their change. So reflecting on the advice that Elaine's just given, again, you're observing day in, day out, you know, as part of these decos, some really good practices. Um, you know, what are you picking up? What are you seeing in terms of some really good insights that align to some of those tips from Elaine? So I would say change comes from the top. So if you try and do it bottom up, it doesn't work. It has to come from the top. So having someone like Elaine, that's the key sponsor that can dr help drive that change, number one. Communicate the change, number two. And I know that sounds really basic, but making sure that everybody understands what's happening. You have to remember this is going to touch everybody in the organisation. Um, that's the great thing about going through an HR change or transformation. It does touch everybody in the organisation. So making sure that you communicate that, get some excitement around it. Inclusivity, right? So it's not just about having HR people on there. It's not just about having IT people on there. Um, I hope Elaine doesn't mind me saying I sit on uh, the BT one. And there are a wealth of people from the organisation across BT that are all bought in. They all have their domain expertise and they're all connected to the programme. And that really, that really shows and that really drives that change management. Um, but I think probably two things. It's the communication and it's, it comes from the top. 
everybody has to be brought in from the top. And it keeps going back, doesn't it? It just keeps going back to the problem statement. It goes back to the argument. It goes back to the story. But we don't have patience, I don't believe, as much as we, as we used to. I think when we look at the changing workplace, if we look at the, the changing demographic, it is a sort of an itchy feet kind of era that we're going into. You know, I want it now. I, I want to understand what's in it for me. I, I need that ex- that access. So, you know, having that clarity of what this change means to me as an individual is probably becoming quite important, Elaine. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I actually think that's part of the uh, the get people to use it <laughs> element of the, uh, you know, the whole cycle. People have got to understand what's in it for them. And actually, I think that um, that, that would be one of my sort of top tips. And Layla said it, she said about how it's, I think it's a privilege that in, in HR, in HR change, like particularly technology, technological change, you're touching everybody in your organisation. This is not just for the HR department. It's not just for finance or for technology or for line managers. It's everyone um, today. And so I, I definitely think, you know, that story is really important. I think as a result of that, though, you've got to be able to make it accessible. So it needs to speak to every person, whatever it is that their job is, whatever level they are in your organisation, how long they're with your organisation, how many hours a week they work. You know, it's got to engage everybody somehow. And so making it accessible is really important to me. You know, you introduced uh, me and the work that we're doing here at BT, Michael, by sharing the name of our programme, I Connect. You know, the BT purpose is we connect for good. And and we, we talk about our end-to-end colleague life cycle as I this, I that. So, you know, I engage, I start, I... I, you know, I thrive, I move, I leave. And so I connect is wrapping all of that together and connecting back into our, our overarching purpose of the organisation. So even just the name of what it is that you're trying to achieve generates a story and a connection for people. And if you can do that in a way, you know, that everybody understands even better, it speaks to people. Yeah, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I think going back to the keyword you just said about the overarching purpose, there's no doubting now that the generation coming into the workplace over the next 10 years is probably a little bit more values based. You know, there are things that are important to them. The purpose of the organization in particular is can I connect to this? So there's just no ifs or buts that this has become such a a, a huge topic, quite binary. People are making huge decisions, quite emotional decisions about do they want to work in your organization? Do I connect to this? And I think the brand name that you have for the project really reflects that. So I'm, I'm very conscious, as I always am on these episodes, that we could be here until the, the late hours. So I, I'm going to wrap up with one final question, if I may, because we've had a ton of feedback from listeners who've been listening to the previous episodes, and they've really like the fact that we ask this last question, which is really giving some practical tips and advice. So many of our listeners perhaps are embarking on their first ever change or the first project that they've ever been asked to lead. So if I can come to you first, Elaine, and then and then I'll come to yourself, Layla, what would be perhaps two or three words of advice that you would share, Elaine, to somebody who may be in that situation? I think I've probably covered these things already in what we've talked about today, um, but I'll I'll sum them up. Number one is vision. Um, be clear on your vision and then make it accessible. 
it's awesome actually when you hear other people in your organization especially those who you've not personally spoken to talking about your program the name you've called it the story you've described it with you know and they, and they play that back to you as if it was theirs and it, it it's absolutely awesome so so be clear on your vision and make it accessible share it that's number one the second is organize be clear on how you're going to deliver this how is really important and again keeping it really simple and easy for people to understand so my four pillars for example functionally fit for purpose plug it in fill it with data make people use it and i have a an overarching umbrella by the by the way that that covers all of those four which is your program management of bring it home <laughs> on time wonderful. and on budget wonderful um, wonderful and and something like that a sort of framework that's easy for people to understand is great so organize is important the other thing about that of course is that it drives accountability you know i can i can name you the five people who i can look straight in the eye and say your job is to make it functionally fit for purpose your job is to make it full of data fill it with data um, and they know what they're there for um, and they know what the other people around them are there for too so organize is my second tip and the third one and again i think we've talked about it already is own it proper real hands-on leadership from within hr uh, as well you know and i think simon this might have been the point you are making about the relationship between HR and technology. These days, tech change is not necessarily done by tech. Uh, if it's intrinsic to what we do in HR, then people need to get off their backsides and learn how to do it. We cannot wait for technology to tell us what to do or deliver it for us. So you've got to be hands-on, feet fully in the fire and in partnership with your tech teams, but being on the forefront of all your design decisions, the architecture, the integrations, the data, the detail, the deployment, the plans, uh, not just the, the sort of soft stuff about, you know, about the, the you know, the, the business case or, or, or whatever. It's, I think it's really important. So clear vision, be organised and then own it. But I love the way, Elaine, that you described that the relationship between HR and IT, because there's often a lot of friction you know, and these sort of projects between HR and IT and technology, et cetera. But the way you described it there is owning the change. I really think frames it really nicely. In 2021, we should, we should all be on the same page. Uh, we say that a lot. In 2021, you know, many things shouldn't be happening. You know, <laughs> we are where we are. Leila, can I come to you just for your closing thoughts, your tips, your insights, the things that you're picking up? Yeah, sure. Before before I do, I will vouch for Elaine that she is all of the things that she's talked about because I sit on those boards and she is very clear about driving that. So I, I can personally vouch for it. So my my tips would be, uh, number one, get your data ready would be my first my first tip. Um, it's important that your data is kind of in ready before before you embark on any sort of change. Uh, number two, have the right skills in place. It's important that you go into this with your eyes open and have the right skills in place. Probably got four things, actually. Uh, number three, choose the right partner. Who, who's going to help you in that, both from a technology perspective and an implementation perspective? You've all got to be singing from the same uh, hymn sheet, and that, that partnership works really well. Think about the ongoing enablement that, that you'll need. So when you, when you choose your technology to when you go live, there's obviously a period of internalizing or going through all of that but actually you do need to get the business ready so think about getting ready to showcase that technology 
And then as part of that, and probably my final point is, have a launch, get excited about it, get the business excited about it. Again, I'll say it again, it's going to touch everybody in the organisation. So get everybody prepared for it to drive to drive some um, excitement around it. So those are probably four things rather than my three things that I would... That's all right. We'll take four. There's nothing wrong with that. No, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And so um, I, I've loved this. It's been a great conversation. And I think it is such a huge topic. I think there are organisations who are needing to change, don't know how to. There are many organisations that you know want to, but maybe don't have the business support. So it is a difficult task at times to understand how do you navigate? You know, how do I bring the organisation with me? How do I get stakeholders to really, truly support? So, uh, listen, I just want to say a huge thank you. A huge thank you to Elaine. A huge thank you to Leila. Some great, great insight, practical insights, concrete examples of the things that people can do, can do differently as they're embarking on their own change. So uh, on behalf of myself and Simon, you know, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's been much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Big shout out to the Brummy women. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, I know I say it on every episode, but I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I really enjoyed getting into the real depth of the thinking of Elaine and how she you know, really thinks about a project and 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 listening to Layla talk about her experience of, of being on a number of steering committees. You know, what did you what did what did you really take out of that conversation today? I, I was struck by a couple of things. I, I loved the uh, the quote from the the founder of Gap. You know, change or fail. You know, you know this change of being constant, but you know, lean into it. And uh, I think particularly the word that resonated with me was owning that change. You know, really driving it and, and owning it, being accountable. Um, you know, it's not going to happen by accident. Uh, it's not going to happen if you're half-hearted about it. So, you know, a lot of the tips and the guidance, both from Elaine and Layla, about how can you really make this land with substance and confidence, I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I think it's the same theme for me. It's almost like those attributes, isn't it? So I think the things I, I've, I've always maintained is you need to have some courage if you're going to lead an organisational change. And I think certainly Elaine reinforced that. And I think the other two bits for me were have a vision, know what you're doing, as you said, lean into it, really own it. But also, when you're looking at the organisational context, have patience. I think Elaine was really clear, wasn't she? Who can help you? Which stakeholder do you think will have a vested interest and will really, truly help you to get this over the line? So it was really varied, Simon, wasn't it? I mean, there was just so much, so many things that we could take away from today. But um some practical tips as well for people listening. I think that, that that final reflection around if this is your first change project, if you're coming at this from from fresh, some things to think about. And we had three tips from Elaine. We had four or five from Layla as well. Just real practical advice about how to approach that first time. Yeah, completely agree. Brilliant stuff, Simon, as always. Thank you very much. Uh, episode four, not sure which one of us will be in the hot seat, but we will sort that out in due course. But until then, everybody, thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye.